Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. For tonight's programme, I'm on one of the most spectacular journeys Ireland's waterways has to offer. From the River Shannon, through Ardner Crusher, and into the sea at Limerick. Come along and join me. At dawn last Monday morning, I was in Killaloo on the Shannon to start a trip undertaken by only about 150 boats every year. I was going to help to deliver a yacht out of the Shannon system through the country's biggest locks and into the tidal waters at Limerick. The mast had been laid on the deck to allow us to get under the many bridges and it was a stunning day as we set off on the yacht Serendipity. Robert Burke owned Serendipity for many years and he was on board as navigator through this very tricky piece of water. The first obstacle we faced was the bridge at Killaloo. We're going under the bridge at Killaloo. What are we looking out for? Oh, we're looking out for current here. They could throw us from one side to the other. So it looks pretty good today. Not a lot of rainwater in the last couple of days. So and the turbines aren't going in Arden Crusha. So we should be okay. But if you put the lads already with oars there um, to fend off the sides if, if there's any action. So it looks pretty good today. Yeah. Under the bridge in Killaloo, a couple of trucks passing over, it's still only 6 o'clock in the morning. The boat's new co-owner is Michael O'Rourke, a former colleague of mine here in RTE, and he told me what we had in store this morning. The problem with the Shannon is the Arden Crush is in the way, so you can just see it on the horizon there coming up. Basically, we have to go around that, right? So there's a canal to the right, and that's where we're going to go down that way now. So it's a majestic morning, isn't it, really? To think that this was done in 1926. It was like a nuclear plant, the equivalent of building a nuclear plant back then. But the one thing, uh, we, we have to get through here before they open the gates. OK, so to go through here, we're going to go through a lock on, on the dam? Yes. So basically, we're at the high point of the dam, right? We have to get to the low point of the dam. So they built the canal around the, da- the dam, and that's where we drop down. Biggest lock in the country? Biggest lock in the country by a long way. So we have to get through here before, at half eight, they're turning on the turbines. So I didn't understand today that the flow of water, there's an extra two knots or more when the, that, um, the, the, the generators are switched okay. on. So there's somebody waiting for us down there? Yeah, this is all pre-booked. So we have to get the sequence correctly to hit. So we have to get through here and arrive in Limerick at the right time when we've just got enough water to get under the bridge. OK, because t- Limerick yeah. is tidal. Limerick is tidal, but we want the tide coming in. We don't want to be pushed through the bridges, so it's very tight fit through the bridges. Uh, so you want a small current coming against you, so it allows you to steer dead centre. Took a lot of planning. Took a lot of planning, yeah. So yeah, we, we have to get through there and uh, basically make Kilrush by three o'clock. Because again, Kilrush is, uh, there's a lock in Kilrush to get into that, and they won't do that at low water. Because uh, too, wa- too much water will get out of Kilrush and uh, drop it for everybody in there. Fingers crossed now the lock man is there. The Ardner Crusher Dam is now nearly 100 years old and was one of the biggest construction projects in Europe at the time and the biggest in this country's history. Robert Burke is very familiar with all of these waters. Ardner Crusher was a project that was conceived in, I think it was the late uh, 1900s, 1800s, and uh, 
he was uh, a, a, an engineer called McLaughlin came back um, to Ireland who's working over with Siemens in Berlin in 1925 and he pressed for um, the government to put in a scheme in place. This is a new independent government here? Yes, after the Civil War and they uh, eventually uh, conceded to it and uh, they spent 5.2 million pounds at the time which was 20% of the Irish um, turnover anyway and um, they spent it uh, on it and it was built and completed around 1929 and it supplied all of the electricity for Ireland that time. Now it only provides uh, 3% would you believe. Okay, We're on the lower Shannon now and it's almost a lake but this was dammed back in the 1920s. Absolutely and uh, it was flooded and uh, a huge amount of people were displaced in farms but it, it has given rise to a fantastic project. Uh, when they were building it there was 5,000 workers on site, there was a thousand Germans and there was 4,000 uh, Irish people here and it gave rise to strikes because the Irish people were only paying agricultural wages and it was quite dangerous at the time so there were strikes and unions came, came to rise out of it and um, it was, but it was a huge project. It was the uh, first major project um, in Europe. It's a stunning morning. Beautiful. That's unbelievable Hardly morning. Hungry. Consider the rain and the storms we've had for the last couple of weeks. This is just dead calm. Ducks in the water. Herons on the shore. It's just idyllic, isn't it? You, you couldn't wish for a better day to go down the Shannon. Okay, we're looking at the chart and we're approaching the dam. What are we looking for? Well, we're looking for the sluice gate and um, it's a guillotine gate. It should be open from about 5 this morning and we're 6.50, so we're in good time. Um, of course, if you went down the other side, uh, you'd be going down on the, uh, the river towards uh, the University of Limerick, and the, which is completely rocky and unnavigable, but this is the built canal now uh, channel and 25 metres from the height to the bottom uh, in depth and it's um, 10 kilometres long from here to Ardnacrusha. When we get down to Ardnacrusha we have a double lock to get through. Okay, so this isn't Ardnacrusha in front of no. us, it's a big wall. This, this is, is Parteen Weir. Okay. This is Parteen Weir. So on the left you have the Shannon going down and that's where the fish can come up. And here it's, it's the, this is the start of the Ardnacrusha scheme in terms of the water that flows down now to the turbines goes down through this channel on the uh, starboard side. Do many boats come down through here? About a hundred a year uh, and it's, uh, it's quite tricky because the, it's tidal, Limerick, so if, you're, if the tide is too high you won't get underneath the bridges and if the tide is too low um, you won't get down, you'll run aground. So it's about getting it just about right and also the flow of water. We're coming up now, we're going to go through a sluice gate, as you call it, a guillotine gate. A piece has been lifted up and there's a narrow gap for us there. Absolutely, and uh, you can see that it looks like a World War II movie here. You know, um, and you can see the German construction, like it's just, yeah, the Dam Busters movies and that kind of stuff. But it's just, uh, and this is stood the test of time. It'll be 100 years old in, in, in five years' time. Like, in, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? Great concrete, very narrow windows, towers on it. You can nearly imagine cold it's built like this. So we're just going underneath it now. 
and you see how Huge thick it is. Steel gate. And we're through the other side. Less picturesque here. It's man-made. Absolutely. Um, this runs all the way down now down to Limerick, and there's several bridges over. So we'll pass a couple of villages: Clonlara, O'Brien's Bridge, and uh, very picturesque uh, O'Brien's Bridge. The Partine Weir divides the Shannon at this point, and we are taking the 10-kilometre man-made canal, which is the navigable section. Building this whole system was a massive project involving thousands of people. I went back to the RTE archives and found this piece from John Cusack. John was a teenager when he was employed on the Ireland Crusher system back in the 1920s. It was hard work. It was very hard, and you had to you should, uh, move sleep, long, big, heavy sleepers, six or eight feet long. From up there, maybe you might have taken a hundred cars or more, and then go back for another one. That you might be at that for a day sometimes. Now you might be down in the in the in the log of, uh, pool of water and muck that you'd hardly be able to pull your boots and stick into the muck. You'd have to pull them out a bit, and. Uh, Pick and shovel and other old lifting concrete blocks and what have you. All that kind of hard craft, as, as tough as you could get any place. There was no slagging with, with the Germans, no, no slagging. If you went there, you were expected to give your full quarter. No such thing as swinging the lead. You had to give what you had. Or if you didn't, they were there from England, Scotland, looking for work. Not in mind, all over Ireland, Belfast, they were there. And you had to push up with all this muck and dirt and what have you. So Mick, you retired from RTE. Yes, retired two years ago. I was looking for a new project. So I always sailed, but just never had time for sailing. So what I decided to do was buy a small boat. So I bought, um, two years ago, bought a catch 22, 22 feet. Uh, the idea of that size is it's manageable. You can launch it yourself. You can put up masts yourself and things like that. It's kind of a control. And on that boat, you operated on a budget there and you did an awful lot of the work yourself. So something like that is manageable. Oh, yeah. Financially. I mean, you can buy a boat and a trailer and engine. If you have a budget about between two and three, you can buy, a, you know, quite a good boat, a good sea-going boat. So um, because I'm now based in my retirement um, down near Dingle, uh, I wanted a decent seat-going boat, you know, because it's not just winds down there, it's the swells. So I was looking for um, a fink-heel boat and that sort of thing. So there are plenty of them around, but I mean, the time you need time for boats. And boats, you know, every time you go to the Chandlers, you're going to spend 100 euros. Yeah. So um, you need to do as much yourself. But I mean, once the boat is sound, cosmetically, you can do most things yourself. So you, you tell me about this boat now that you've just bought and we're bringing it now from its home where it spent yeah. 25 years up in the Shannon yeah. down to Dingle. Yeah, no, so I've been to Lookout so I knew then the boat I wanted and uh, these these old English boats, so this boat is 45 year old, it was built in 1975, 31 feet long, weighs about four and a half tonne. It's a, a solid, sturdy boat. So these boats will last forever. Osmosis and things like that, you don't have to worry about. They're really well built, right? So once the basics, of the, like the mast, the rigging, the engine and that sort of stuff, the, the expensive bits are fine on a boat. You can do most of the other things yourself. So um, I was looking around. There's not many of them around come for sale when they come up, to, but this was on the Shannon. The attraction of buying a boat on the fresh water is because the wear and tear isn't anything like um, uh, what you get on the sea. 
So the, 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 the challenge now is then getting it from Loch Derg down. So thankfully the owner of the boat, as part of the deal, he said he'd get it down as far as points me where we get the mast raised. Actually, we have to go as far as Kilrush because they couldn't get a, a crane there. So, um, yeah, um, yeah, and it's an experience. Like a, Isn't it? What a stunning morning. Yeah, it's just pure chance, but I mean, um, this is Ireland, you know. Uh, you can yeah. see why people, why the Shannon is so popular for people to come along. Yeah, and like the history of it as well. Like you, you drive by these places and these lakes and, 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 and uh, canals and you, you don't read the history of it. Yeah, no, I'll never do this again. I mean, I'm a sea sailor, not an inland sailor. But I mean, there's a whole world of sailing inside in the middle of Ireland and the lakes and things that I never realised, you know. So what are your plans for her now? So it's called um, uh, Westerly Longbow. Again, built around 1975, which was a boom in time in the kind of the yachting thing um, in England, where the middle class could afford to buy these uh, big boats or whatever like that. Uh, so saying that, this boat was about six and a half thousand in 1975, which was a lot of money then, you know. Like the basics on this are fine, so it's mainly um, woodwork interior woodwork. Would you do yourself? Yeah, over time. Cosmetic, you can do yourself if you got the time. But boats take time. That's the one thing I learned, and I could never have done this, you know, because when you're working you know, Monday to Friday, and then you're out, you want to go sailing, yeah. you don't have time, so... But the one thing I've, I've learned, uh, you know, boats are kind of men's sheds as well, you know, and there's a whole community there, and they're very helpful people, so you, in the marina you just ask somebody, somebody have an opinion or know somebody, you know. So, um, I mean, I had a budget of 10 grand for this boat, um, already I've spent about 4 grand, have a brand new uh, life raft on it, and things like that, so kind of... Um, you know, the reliability and safety of the boat um, is um, kind of paramount to me. Electronics nowadays um, is a fraction of the price. Um, basically, what I'm using now is uh, Navionics on um, a tablet. So that's €40 Euros for a year for uh, UK and Ireland maps. So what the, the, the instruments now, your measurement instruments are all Wi-Fi based, so you can connect them up to Wi-Fi and then your tablet connects to that and it shares the information. Okay, right? You might just need a wind speed indicator, that's it. You need a wind speed, and, uh, wind speed indicator and uh, wind velocity and depth. So they're the sensors you need nowadays and, and they're all integrated. Compared to what it was, it's a fraction of the price. So things are affordable. So the, the most expensive thing really is time. And if you've got time, yeah. that you're not paying somebody else to do it on your boat, yeah. right? How long were you in RT for? Uh, nearly 40 years. So um, and I was based in the technology side of the business. Um, so I, I'm still able to put my uh, skills to that, you know. And um, You're almost a poster boy for retirement. Yes. I've never seen a happier person. No, but I mean, I always, I always said I would retire at 60 today. I was 60 and that's the day I retired. Um, it's a new life. Coming out of mornings like this, Fergal, you, you, you just don't get this anymore. Yeah. If you could can this and things like that, and that's why we do it, you know, because you get bad days. Like sailing, don't like sailing in Ireland on the good days, it's great, and on the bad days, when you're out in a swell and, and you, you just feel as sick as a dog, you know, you're down below and everyone's on deck trying to. They're the days, but you look back at the good ones and things like that, and you don't rem- you don't you forget the bad days and remember the good days, you know. It's uh, 25 past seven, and it's warm. <laughs> you know, in Ireland. Uh, yeah, no, these are one of the good days, you know. We had booked our passage through Arden Crusher, but approaching the dam, it was time to give the lock keepers a call. We've got to get on to the, uh, the lock keeper here now and see. Hello, Robert Burke here. Um, I am on Serendipity, a sailing boat. We're approaching Arden Crusher to go downriver. Yeah, that's um, 
sorry, you're on the way down there. Anyway. We're here. We're just. We're only. We're only about 400 meters from the uh, from the lock yeah. now. Yeah, the gate's open now. You can drive straight in there. Fantastic. All right. I will yeah. see you inside. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, see. No okay, Robert. That's fine. Thank you. So, Robert, what's going to happen now? This is the actual dam in front of us. This is the actual dam in front of us. So we're going to go in on the, the port side here, into the sluice gate and into, it's a double lock. So we go into the first lock, drop 60 feet, and then to the other side, it's 52 feet of a drop. So it's, uh, you move from one lock then into the other. So this is, um, I think it's about 120 feet total all the way down to the water. So this is where the turbines are. There's four turbines here, or three turbines, uh, and uh, that operate but the interesting part is that this is uh, nearly 100 years old the, these lock gates going through here it, it, it's a fascinating piece of engineering hopefully it'll go smoothly um, fingers crossed so as regards fending off then we said around the fenders yeah you need boat hooks and yours you need a fender on this side you need yeah Inside the country's biggest lock, the alarm told us the water is beginning to flow and we are on the way down. We've dropped an incredible, like, three or four stories. Oh yeah, it's going to be, what, 50, 52 feet in the next lock, 60, meter, 60 feet in this lock, and the, the daylight's beginning to disappear. You're going down into kind of twilight zone here. There's no weed or anything down on the walls here. It's the sunlight has disappeared. It's up at the top. It's going. We're going down into darkness now. And just as we look up to the light, I see there's a notice up there in red. There is no payment required for the use of these ESB locks. Ray Lawless is the new co-owner of Serendipity and co-author of this project. I retired three years ago, and myself, Michael, also retired three years ago. The other co-owner of the boat. And we decided we'd go back to sailing because we had done it in our, in our BC years before children. Decided we'd come back to it. So we did our training courses, got our licences and so forth. And then we looked around for a boat. We spent about a year looking and eventually we settled on this westerly Longboat 31. You have ambitions for it? Where are you going to bring her? We're going to bring it to Dingle. Uh, we'll start off in Kilrush and we'll wait for the right weather conditions. And it's about a 14-hour sail. If we want to get round to Dingle, we may stop off in Brandon along the way um, because there's no rush. I say we're retired, so we're under no time pressure. And after that, now, as this year, next year, what do you plan to do? Well, the aim would be uh, to, we want to restore the boat to have it in as good a condition as possible. I mean, it's a very solid foundation boat to build on, but it needs a little bit of TLC. So we'll spend the summer sailing it, learning how to handle it. But our aims would be to do quite a, a good bit of sailing the following year, going long distance. I mean, I spoke to Michael about doing around the Ireland, yeah. something like that. So you could go all along the south coast yep. quite easily? Oh, very easily. I mean, this is, we've got some of the best cruising grounds yeah. in Europe, uh, southwest coast around Dingle, Bantry, Skull, um, Castletown's End. They're really beautiful areas. I've sailed them before. Yeah. And I think, you know, even if you never sailed anywhere else, you'd always be happy sailing there. She's a manageable size. I've plenty of room down below, but well, that was important to us because they say you should always try and get a boat a little bit bigger than what you actually need. And typically, ideally, there'd be four of us sailing: Michael and his wife, Geraldine, and myself, and my wife Isabel. Four people, six berths, gives that little bit of extra room yeah. for storage, makes it comfortable then. And the, the work you're talking about—it's—it's it's not that much, really. There's a bit of varnishing and stuff. Yeah, it really is cosmetic. 
you know, but it's time consuming. I've discovered one thing about boats. Simple jobs are never simple and they never, they always take an awful lot more time than you expect. But I don't mind because it's a labour of love at this stage. Now, you said you did courses over the last while, but you're not new to sailing at all. No, um, back in my early 20s, I joined Glenanne's and I learned to sail through Glenanne's. Then I went on, uh, did some instructor's training courses and then I instructed for about 10 years. So it gave me a great foundation in learning how to sail without engines, I have to say. So then, why would you then feel when you bought this boat or before you bought that you needed to take more courses? Well, you need licences now if you want to charter. So two years ago, the year I retired, I got a licence so that I could go abroad and charter. Yeah, that's the the competent... Yes, the certificate of competency and so forth. It only takes a few days. Yeah, if you know what you're doing. You, well, it's about for the theory courses, it's about six months of work online uh, before you do the exams. That's level one, and level two is another six months because if I'm taking my family out, I want to be sure that we're safe. That's the number yeah. one priority, yeah. Yeah. which is a big attraction at this boat because it is a relatively new engine, and you, you have to rely on that. Is it very expensive to do this type of sailing? Well, I think there's two approaches. You can go in, all in, and go and buy a beautiful boat and spend a fortune on it but I think you'll have just as much fun if you go for the lower end of the market buy a boat that's solid that needs a bit of work and you learn as you build up your skills on the boat and as you improve the boat and that's part of the fun so I think it's it's worth an investment if you have a long term view but certainly it's not something you do just for a year or two We've had an incredible morning. We're down now back on the River Shannon itself. Yeah, it's an amazing place. I mean, it's a beautiful country. But it's so quiet and isolated. You could be anywhere, really. It's not something I would try myself, this part here. You've the local knowledge. Yes, we're very grateful uh, that we had the owner down with us and look after this because when it comes to sailing on the sea, we have experience, we know what we're doing. Coming down the river like this with all these locks for the first time is not something for a beginner. You could try it, but I think you get a lot of grey hairs out of it. As we leave the man-made canal section, the River Shannon divides a couple of times again before Limerick. There's another part of the river that, going up there. That's the part that goes up to Shannon. That's the, the other part that goes up by the university. And that's the part that comes out from uh, Parteen Weir, which we went to at okay, the start. So that's the Shannon proper. We that's came the through the man-made proper. part. We came through the man-made part. So that's where, the, where we had the sluice gate with the guillotine yeah, yeah. at the start. The river that went to the port now comes out down here. And that comes down through Castle Connell and down by the University of Limerick and then out here. As we go through the city, there is a series of bridges and this is where the tide is important. If the tide is too high, you can't get under the bridge. If it's too low, the water is moving too fast. So we're, we're coming up now. The first bridge in Limerick this is the railway bridge. And uh, this is the, the main line from Limerick to Ennis to Galway. It's one of the. It's the first bridge that we meet on the way into the into Limerick now. Then it was a smooth ride down through the city under all the other bridges, right to the final lock, the tidal gate, just at Shannon Boat Club. That's where I stepped ashore after a really stunning journey. We avoided all the dangers in the sandbank. That that was quite a trip, wasn't it? It was. Well, it just pays to have somebody experienced on the boat to avoid. Local knowledge is everything. So I'm leaving you now, but you're going on now to Kilrush. How long is it going to take? I think it's about four hours from here. So we have to get Kilrush before uh, low water So the, um, because uh, there's a, a gate system again to get access to that. So once we get there, we have the crane booked, the mast will be raised, and then we head for Dingle tomorrow. And your summer starts here? The summer starts here, and what a way to start it on a trip like this. 
special thanks to Michael O'Rourke and Ray Lawless for inviting me along on that incredible trip. And also to Robert Burke for his navigation and all the historical facts. It's a journey, if you ever get a chance, you should really undertake it. And as this is a subject almost made for the RTE archives, I went back and found a poem about the Arden Crusher scheme. This is from Donico Dooling's Highways and Byways programme. There was a poet in my own place in Bradford, uh, Martin Kennedy, and his poems have been published recently. And uh, shall I give, give it to you? Yes. Oh, were I Homer, that ancient Romer, I'd write a poem on a noble tame to sing the story and chanted glory of that wondrous project, the Shannon Scheme. In Belly Valley, midst Oak and Sally, I sat me down and I dreamt a dream of more employment and more enjoyment and happier homes by this Shannon scheme. From old Tullara to distant Tara, the power will gush in a splendid stream. From High Town Tinna to Loch Namina, all, all are linked in the Shannon scheme. From the farmers' back doors will stop the tractors and make their holdings a paying game. The lands will drain, sir, and hill and plain, sir, will smile with grain, sir, through the Shannon scheme. That's poetry, and that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast, and it's on our website, rte.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rte.ie. If you're anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.